to the Wellbeing Rebellion, the podcast that's changing workplace cultures for good. We're your hosts, Ngazi Wella and Obehi Alafoje. Let's get this rebellion started. Navigating the intricacies of creating a really compelling business case for people-related investments, it can be a challenging task especially as companies continue to reduce and restrict spending on well-being because of the economic downturn, which we haven't quite recovered from. We regularly hear from HR leaders about the challenges on securing budget for transformational well-being initiatives. A lot of it, we find, comes from the challenge in articulating the value of employee well-being initiatives. So in this episode, we're going to talk about how you can build an impactful business case for well-being that will resonate with your senior leadership team. Let's dive in. So, Obi, you were asking me why I wanted to talk about this. And uh, at the risk of it starting again, it really comes down to this rant I had, which is... (laughs) Listen, uh, my my job, for those of you who don't know, my job within the business is to drive the sale. So OB brings the leads in and I drive this, get the sale and, and develop the customer relationship and all that stuff. So I'm doing a lot of, of business development, a lot of negotiating. I have a lot of calls, a lot of calls with people who are in buying positions. Right. So they come to me, they know what we do, they've had a taste and they want a bit of the Aurora magic for themselves. Right. <laughs> I'm excited. Uh, we'll have a great 20, 30 minutes, sometimes up to an hour BD call several, several times. We will discuss what their employees concerns are, what their concerns are from the leadership team. And we'll come up with a bespoke solution that will work for them. We'll have secured um, uh, the fact that they have a budget in place. I will come up with a really detailed proposal. It looks good. It meets their needs. They've already agreed it. They'll send it off and then they'll come back with a "Mm, computer says no. (laughs) I can't express how frustrating that is for, for us. Um, small service providers. It really, really is. And it's because they've taken this, this solution that will solve the business needs, but they haven't been able to sell it. They haven't been able to sell it to their senior leadership team. Why do you think that is? Why are they unable to sell it to their leadership team? What is the main issue there? The main problem is that, well, I see two, if I can be so bold. There's two issues. One, still, to this day, HR is still trying to find their voice and that confidence that they strongly, rightfully deserve that seat at the table. They should be directing how people management is conducted within the firm not responding to how it's conducted within the firm. That's the first one. It's a confidence like, 
I need to insist on this. If you want to achieve these goals, I insist that this is what you do. This is how you will achieve those goals as opposed to, uh, well, these are the goals we're going to achieve and HR is whatever budget's left. Second is because even if you do have the confidence, you don't necessarily have the experience or the expertise at negotiating with other people in the leadership team who might be skeptical or do not understand the importance of what it is you're trying to do. So you're not using the right language. You're not using the most compelling arguments. Um, They do not understand the value of what it is you're trying to do. And you don't know how to communicate or persuade them that it's a necessity and not a luxury. Yeah. And in times like this, where everybody's is, is, tightening belts and stripping out unnecessary expense, well-being is is considered a nice to have. They do not understand just how essential it is. Even if they say they do, your well-being really does matter to us, your employers. They don't really understand how fundamental it is to an employee's performance and how it relates directly to productivity and therefore profitability. And yeah. unless you know how to do that, to, to, to link that in your business, specifically for your business and not theoretically and generically and using the kind of um, stats that you might find that relate to the US or the UK wide, but actually bring it down to brass tacks for you and your business, then it is very easy for them to say, yeah, it's really important. Let's look at that for next year. Yeah, I have to say, the there is a frustration from HR perspective. I think those of you who are listening, you're probably nodding your head, um, because it's like you've done all this work, prep work, to put together some sort of business case to go with some well-being initiative that you know will work because you see the fallout of the thing, you see the complaint, you see the grievance, you see the toxicity that is going in team. So you see it all. Um, and so you imagine, okay, I just need to bring a solution that will solve this problem and I'll just take it to senior leadership. And of course, I'm the expert, right? I'm here as people, I drive people initiative. That's the actual role in the job. So it makes sense that they, they ought to listen. And I'm part of um, HR uh, groups um, because cause you do. And I get to see this frustration where, especially on Facebook, because of course LinkedIn, people don't really say what they really need to say. So groups on Facebook where they're so frustrated, some leave, some think I'm looking for a new job. And, it's, and usually the key reason that they want to leave or find somewhere else is this weird disconnect between them and the senior leaders or them and the CEO or them and the CFO. Something that says they're just a misalignment somewhere. And I think the first point about how you do a business, because guys is going to talk about this in a moment, it's about how much of the plan or your solution is linked to the business goal. Because it's very easy to think people function but then they have to be directly linked to what the overall business goal is. And I know that we're not teaching you how to suck it. You must, you already know that. But it's very easy to still lose sight of it because you're focusing on your function, right? 
So mm. I did understand. I could wanted to just say that we understand the frustration. We see the frustration even on our roundtable discussion. Yeah. It's there. People are just so pulling hair out to think, why can't I get it over the line? I know for a fact this will work. I've done the research. I've done everything. But my issue now is I cannot seem to convince a different upline of people that this is what will be required and this is what will solve a lot of the problems that we're currently having with productivity, with sickness, with um, retention. All of those big problems that are people problem that are HR problem so we were hoping that this conversation today will help you start reflecting okay what am I doing right what am I doing well tick tick yeah I'm definitely doing that this is the missing piece of what I'm not doing as much and so I might need to double down on that or at least close that gap so the next time I'm taking a proposal again to the senior leadership team or the board that I have closed my gap to the purpose of what we're going to do in today's session. Exactly. I mean, the first the first thing is it's any it's any negotiating tactic. Everybody comes to their table to the table with their own wants, hopes, desires. Right. Your job is to convince the senior leadership team that what you are seeking will meet their needs, wants, and desires, okay? In order for that, you need to know what their wants and desires and needs are. What are your organization's goals? Yeah? And how does the business case that you're putting together align with those goals? And each stakeholder is going to have a different goal. They're going to have a different opinion. So you're going to have to go and find out what it is they are wanting to do. What is their most pressing short-term, medium, and long-term need? That means you're going to have to do some meeting and discussing and coffee chats to find out. on And ideally, on a one-to-one basis, you need to know what does the CEO really, really want? And how does that differ from what the CFO or the COO really, really want? What do the department heads see as a real significant problem? And it's really, really good to go and, I think, meet with them individually, understand what their particular problems are. And yes, it sounds like it's a laborious task, but it's well worth doing, not just for... um, the securing budget for a well-being initiative, but just so that you know you are truly understanding what is happening operationally in the business and therefore how you can make the HR function, the people function as effective at solving problems and preventing problems as possible. Yeah? So go and find out from each of your stakeholders what their key issues are in, in, in a formal or informal way. And then you can find where the happy um, middle is. Where are the yeah. overlapping interests? Where's the common ground? Where can you join the dots and say, this will solve four problems out of the six that we currently are facing? Yeah. I think what, and also... When you're meeting with them, it's one thing to, you're going to go in with as much information as you already have data points. 
that you have. So not information, just data that you collected on their department or their function. They said, this number of people were off sick in the department in the last three months. Do we know what this is about? So you're going in with data to then collect more data of them as opposed to you're going to tell them what's what. So you want to say, hey, here's some information I've picked up. This is happening. This is what is showing. Do you know why this is a problem? Are you aware of this? For them to now go, actually, they didn't know it was a problem because if they don't believe it's a problem, it's not a problem, right? So you may think it is, but if they don't believe it, then it is, it's not going to get solved, at least in that way that you think it is. So being able to get them to say, this is, this is looking like a problem, they don't see the problem, so now you now know, ah, I need to make sure they get to see what the consequence is going to be. So that's where the question around, what do you think will happen if this carries on? Where would the goalpost be? Say, for example, in a particular head of, depart- of, head of department, um, 50% of people have been, I don't know, sick or something the last three months. The head of department said, oh, no, it's not a problem. I know people have been, there's been a bit bad cold going around, right? Let's just say that's what he said. Um, bad cold going around. He said, okay. So at what point, so he doesn't think it's a problem. It's fine. It will be solved. Then the next question could be, at what percentage do I need to come back to you again? Could you now think it's a problem? And then he might say, oh, yeah. Maybe when it gets to 60%, then I'm, I'm going to think, okay, something is off here. For example. So I want you to think about taking in the data you have, collecting more, asking questions about what they think the consequence would be, and what is the goalpost <laughs> in which they would then decide, ah, okay, yeah. I don't want to see that it's a problem, but it could be a problem if you get to a particular level and then you go from there. So that's I what love, I wanted to add to that. I love that piece of advice. I think it's excellent. And then also, and what what would it what is it worth to them to solve that problem? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a problem at 60%, but not that big a problem. Or at 60%, this is gonna have an impact of X on our turnover. So it would definitely be worth solving, um, even if it costs us X thousand. Yeah. Right? Always think of it from the what's in it for them perspective. What are you planning to do for them? That is your function, is a support function. So what can you do to help them? solve their problems, prevent their problems, and succeed. And then the other thing is, we we all do it. We're always really keen to go and talk to our cheerleaders, our champions, our supporters, our allies. We need them. Absolutely no initiative survives without them. Do not, though, overlook the cynics and the skeptics. You know, the one who always rolls his eyes whenever someone's about <laughs> mental health. Yeah. Or she's always, <sighs> when people talk up. Oh, well-being again. We've done well-being. <laughs> that person needs attention. Yeah. Right? You need to hear what their objections and concerns are, actually. Yeah. You need to ask them why they have an issue but don't do it in a confrontational way i'm not saying go in there all gun blazing and oh, tracy you always do that you always roll in your <laughs> mind no 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 
go, this is information, like Obi said, it's data gathering and it's valid data. If one person is thinking it, you can bet your bottom dollar someone else in the room is thinking it and just hasn't expressed it. And when it comes to time to vote, time to spend, those secret saboteurs will come out. So you might as well find out from the people who are willing to share, what is it that is making them hesitant, reluctant, or cynical? Yeah. Right? Um, It can help to show you your blind spots. It can give you um, other opportunities to grow and it can strengthen your business case overall. If you can answer that concern, then you've solved one of, or you've, you've overcome one of the objections when it comes to, to actually securing your solution. Yeah. And not the, not the purpose of making sure you see those skeptics one-to-one because you need them to be comfortable to share maybe what they won't share in a whole meeting with other people because who wants to be the lone wolf or the lone voice, right? And we've seen this a lot. I mean, one of the roundtables we did uh, end of last year where there was this woman who did not get it at all. And we had created such a safe space that she was able to say, what a lot of other people and a lot of your the critics in organizations are thinking. But she was able to say it as head of HR, this is like it to have big bugbear. And a lot of people were like, oh wow. It was surprising. Like I'm so glad you could say something like this because I bet that's what our bosses are thinking. But what was interesting, the minute there was a part, a particular part, and God you remember when we were talking mm-hmm. about the aspects of it that she somehow went, I'd never thought about that. Once you got a small aspect, not the whole thing, the whole thing was still like, I don't really get it. This is too much. I think people just need to work hard and just get over things. Yeah. Remember? <laughs> and then, but it was an issue, an area where she thought, well, hang on. If people were supposed to go and get help, but where they go and get help for them to NHS, your GP is blocked or is overwhelmed, then clearly people are still sitting on issues they haven't dealt with. That is, of all the parts that we talk about, that, that's the bit that she got. And guess what she did with that? She went, oh, I think my team needs support. But guess where I'm thinking? I'm thinking around things around neurodiversity because we don't understand it. So the skeptic of the room that day, the one that put her hand up to say, I need some help, actually, in, my, in our team around these things. So do not overlook them. Do not mock them. Do not scoff at them they are important information yes they're frustrating and they're pain in the ass and yes i said that they could be but they are valuable pain in the asses okay just wanted to just, just wanted to say that okay when they turn a lie they will turn a life for change and they won't have to fake it they won't have to toe the line they'll be they'll be there for real now yeah. there are some problematic people who have no interest who don't want to think that's okay Okay, you don't have to carry them along the whole thing, but you must give them an opportunity to share what they're thinking. Otherwise, they'll shut down and then they will just quietly um, sabotage things. Okay, so we're going to just um, add that. Yeah. So the other thing I wanted to think about is we need to speak in business case language. Now, it can be a bit annoying, like, why can't I just say what I need to say, say what I mean to say? And Obviously, your CEOs and CFOs and senior leaders, they're also people, they speak normal speak, right? So, but for some reason, it makes sense that we want to have a very clear 
um, clean language. It in business speak that they understand in terms of the result that you're hoping to get. Because those are the things that we need to include. Okay, so I know you all know this. Again, we are not teaching you how to suck eggs. I know you know this stuff, but it, you'd be surprised how quickly this kind of stuff go out the window when we're passionate about something and when we have an issue that we care about, okay? So you want to be collaborative in your tone, okay? We are doing this together. We are the team. We are senior leadership team. But you you don't want to be defensive, okay? You want to develop your pitch around the facts. And you want, again, show data points that you've collected. Don't forget, you've been talking to them one-on-one anyway. So this is not a surprise when you have this team meeting to discuss or when you're putting in the business case proposal. You've been having conversations with them. They ought to recognize themselves in that document because they know, oh, yeah, I did talk to her about that thing, right? So you want to be do that. You want to use examples to, where possible, to make your point. You want to tone down any excessive emotion. This is probably when you're delivering that proposal. So not necessarily document, but when you're delivering it. It's okay to be passionate, for sure. Okay, but just make sure your emotion is measured. And you can show emotion. You can see me and the guys are very passionate people. Sometimes we go off key sometimes. And then sometimes we have to bring ourselves back. So it's about just being more measured there. But you can share your emotion in example cases that you use. So, for example, if somebody um, in the team uh, passed away or something thing had happened that is part of the data point, it's okay to share the emotions there that you're upset by it, that you're disappointed that people didn't feel supported. You can say those things in that context. They're like, they're humans too. They're people too. And they ought to be able to feel that emotion because it touched something in them as well. So don't void your whole presentation or your your business case document proposal by removing every emotion in there. It just needs to be more measured. Okay, so it's also very easy to go broad. So, you know, how we think we should invest more money on well-being training in our employees so that we can reduce sickness, absence rates, could the people be more productive at work and increase our revenue. See, same soundbite. You've all heard that before. We've all yeah. heard it before. It's, it's the not same thing. Pervasive. Not specific. Um, yeah. It, it just sounds generic and and therefore it's not compelling. You Your mind automatically switches off going, yeah. Yeah, there we thing. go again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so it's so just what, when we think about, it's fine to think broad when we're reading documents like from the likes of Deloitte. Yeah, it ought to be broad, different industry, blah, blah, blah. But when you're doing it in-house and putting the business case, you can't copy Deloitte's style of writing. You have to be more specific. So you want to consider uh, more specific things like, for example, I'm going to say this out. Our recent employee engagement survey, okay, highlighted that leadership capability is the pressing need, with 41% of online managers feeling that they have no structured support to help them manage their team's mental health and career development. Okay, because it was a recent engagement survey, so you collected it in some way. It's a leadership capability is in need. 41% there's a number, right? And that they feel they have no structured support. Okay, because you might have to define what the hell does structured support even mean. Okay, now, this is further reinforced by our exit interview data, which shows that more than 15% of our leavers cite lack of management support or manager support as the reason they're moving to an organization because their careers has not progressed with us, okay? This turnover, this 15% that left, cost us X amount last year in temp cover, recruiting, 
onboarding, etc. This cost to the business of our high turnover rate could be reduced if we invested in learning and development for middle managers, very specific there, middle managers. So we emphasize that the investing, including specialty training, coaching, time to self-study, and application of the learning for all 30 of our middle managers, and the value of investment of this work would be Y amount. Once they're properly trained and supported, we expect that 85% of our middle managers will develop the practical skills necessary to support the team members in an empathetic way on a day-to-day basis. See how 85% of middle management will be expected to develop because 100% not. That Some people won't be interested, some people can't manage. So you have to be realistic. How many of those leaders will really learn what they need to learn? Right? We expect that it will encourage our employees to feel looked after, supported in their work. They'll feel more empowered to use resources already provided for them, such as our EAP, reward benefits, etc., etc., and engage in solution finding, problem solving of the common problems we have in our organization, such as XYZ. It will reduce our turnover rate by X percent, and the return of investment will be Y percent. I mean, this is just a loose draft, but you get the idea of what I'm saying. It's very specific that we ought to just do training because our managers aren't happy and people say they're not happy and people say they're not progressing and so we need to spend this money and we spoke to Aurora, it costs this amount to come and pay it. That's not going to fly. Okay, so we Mm -hmm. want to make sure we're including the problem you're looking to solve, so being specific about that. So in which case, the problem in this case that I read out just now was leadership capability, right? How you gathered this data, what survey you had interviewed, the relevant stats and the numbers and the stories behind those numbers, those are good. Why now is another thing to consider. Why this initiative, why is this so important now? And you can use industry stats to make your point. You know, for example, the top two employees you must have in the UK are fair pay at 34% and a manager who cares at 64%, for example. Mm. So it's mirroring what you probably have in your data as well. The consequence of the current problem on the business, it continues. If we keep having 41% of managers who don't feel confident in what they're doing and we have 15% of people leaving because they don't feel supported by their managers and it increases, what will happen? And then you now have to think about a solution to this problem. Here's the solution. Here's the main transformation or the result of this solution that will yield in the shorter term or longer term, etc. And you want to be realistic with the transformation or the result. So not too idealistic. You know, everybody will be happy. That's just like, okay. <laughs> so you want to be more specific. But managers will stop avoiding having performance management conversations with their teams right and they will address poor performance quicker and empathetically to enable employees take responsibility for their own well-being challenges okay because that's one of the examples i wanted to do is what i want to say in terms of the language that you're going to use and you can prep this you can plan this ahead of time you have um, to you have to to be honest yeah because that's what i wanted to share there anything else you'd want to add here and go yeah I mean, the reason this works is if you if you listen back to what Obi said, which is an excellent example of how you have prepared your business case for approval by the other board members, it you will 
you will hear that it contains a variety of different data. There mm -hmm. is the hard stats. This is the number of people that are affected in these particular departments. This is the cost of that. But it also contains the more emotive language that will appeal to others. So the stats will appeal to, say, the CFO and other the department heads who have targets that they are trying to meet. But the CEO, the COO, they may prefer storytelling. Mm -hmm. And you can hear the storytelling in the words that um, that were included in, in, in the language in terms of this will encourage our employees to feel looked after and supported. It will encourage them to find their own solutions. It will enable our leaders to have those difficult conversations. Use a combination because mm. you have, as you will have identified, a variety of different stakeholders who each have their own goals and objectives that you're trying to meet. So you need to try and find a way of bringing in as many of those different things into your business case. Yes, it's work, but isn't it worth it? Absolutely. And I think that conversation with the skeptic, because you ought to have done one-on-one -on -one with a lot of these stakeholders. And so the question of asking, which is why do you think this may not work or what would your concern be, that you must answer those questions because somebody, one of them might think, well, why now? We have other things to worry about. We've got to, you know, got increased productivity and make some more sales. While we talk about well-being, and so you need to be able to link that if our people are still this unwell or they're not, they don't feel included, they don't feel looked after, they will not give 120%. They will not go the extra mile. And we need everyone to go the extra mile right now because we sales are down. So people can't go extra mile when they don't feel looked after, they don't feel engaged. That's not, it cannot work. So you kind of want to make sure that question they're asking, why now? You get to answer that question. Mm -hmm. And somebody who needs the data, like how much is it going to cost? So your CFO needs to know cost because that's his job to make sure that it's not going to cost unnecessarily money. So that's why we think value of investment, look at what the value is going to be. Look at what it already cost us with people being off sick or with us recruiting. Because they can see a different number. It cost us 50K to recruit these people last year. The value of the investment we're talking about will cost 20. No brainer. But then the return of investment of it means that we don't lose any more people in the next year. And that value is this amount. So that's what we're trying to say. You've got it, it's not, and I know, and here's the thing I know that you are all bit like a lot of work, a lot of case things on you right now. You have a lot of pressure. So therefore, it's easy to say, I could knock this off in a few. You cannot knock this off. <laughs> you will have to put in the time. Mm -hmm. um, you will have to make the time to the coffees and the meetings to be able to gather information before you start thinking what solutions might be out there that will help solve or meet some of these needs. Because then you now have your stakeholders having questions so you can ask your suppliers. So when you're recruiting, trying to find suppliers, you can ask them to clarify some of those things that your skeptics probably have questions around. Okay, okay. so I'm to just add that. Really good point. Because the number of times I've offered to support people, and I do support mm, you do with the language of the emails that they're communicating to their uh, uplines, to how they are persuading, even, even putting together presentations. Yeah. You're, if you have a good service provider, they should be able to support you in pulling together this information. 
If they don't, make them work harder for your cash. Yeah. Make them work harder because this this should be a joint effort. And one of the other upsides, which we haven't mentioned, is this, if you do this well, it will do nothing but bolster your credibility. Okay? If you can demonstrate that you understand all sides of the business, not just the touchy-feely, but you understand all sides of the business and how you are integral to it and you justify your seat at that table by bringing in something that will generate the kinds of returns that the right kind of well-being investment will, then it becomes much easier for you to speak up the next time the cynics are less cynical that too and the champions are more supportive because you've proven yourself absolutely i love that so to wrap up this uh episode we three things to go away with have you aligned your business case with your company's business goals okay have you done that have you had conversations with your stakeholders and making sure you're able to combine their difference of opinions and goals, right? Can you find your skeptics and can you spend time with your skeptics to understand exactly what their reluctant or their um, what their reluctant is, right? And finally, can you put your business case in a language that everybody, that majority of stakeholders can understand? And can you do that in a way that's collaborative, not defensive, and passionate, but emotions measured? Mm. Excellent. We talk about this stuff all the time, all the time. You guys are probably sick of hearing our voices, but it's so good to discuss with peers and colleagues who get it. And we are continuing to host a series of in-person, yay, in-person, executive roundtables or breakfast workshops for senior HR leaders in London. We'll be running them next month in February, running them in this month in January 2024 as well. We've got one coming up um, for the future of leadership in law. And this is for HR business leaders in law firms only. That's on the 27th of February in London, we've got one for um, building and leading a healthy workplace culture. That's on the 29th of February in London. We'll also be running one of my favorite topics, understanding racial equity in the workplace. Um, so that and the workplace culture, they are open to HR leaders um, from any industry. Um, that's on the 27th of February. So listen, if you're interested in joining any of those events or any of the other events that we are running, um, please do go and check out the show notes. You'll find links for you to express your interest in, in joining. These are interactive discursive sessions. So you'll get the opportunity to, to talk with us as well as other people who share your frustrations and concerns, uh, challenges and successes. And it's a brilliant way of learning. So check out the show notes um, to find out when our next in-person roundtables are and whether we're hosting an online one that you can attend or one in your local geography. 
do contact us if you'd like us to host a roundtable near you. If we get enough interest, we could be coming to a town near you. So listen, there is so much that we can learn from each other. But the important thing is that we get the job done to help people. Help is needed and we are the people to do it. So yeah, do get out, get in touch and um, and reach out and join us at one of our roundtables. We'd love to see you there. We'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye, Rebels. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Wellbeing Rebellion. If you liked what you just heard, please share it with your colleagues, follow us on LinkedIn, the link will be in the show notes, and generally show us some love. We want to build a whole army of fellow rebels who want to create positive workplaces for everyone. Will you join the rebellion? See you next time.